Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Welcome to What Should I Think About. This is Stephen. Um, I'm on my own again today, but I'm really happy to welcome Andrew Jasko. Andrew is a religious trauma coach and he has a degree, a master's in divinity and also just completed his master's in counselling. So you told me, Andrew, offline that you've just completed it yesterday. So congratulations. Thank you so much. And welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Brilliant. So, um, Andrew, I think you reached out to me when uh, we were both at the International Cultic Studies Association conference. I think that's how we, uh, we met virtually. Um, and I've been interested to talk to you because obviously you're you're in this area of religious trauma, and you you try to help people um, overcome this this religious trauma that they've had. Um, and you're also somebody who's quite vocal uh, in the areas of uh, spirituality and mysticism, and those are areas that I don't know very much about. I have to say, and I guess coming from a a sort of sceptical perspective. Um, I, I'd really like to get your thoughts on where you're coming from with all of that and how you think that can help us and where you think uh, we might be missing a bit of a trick. So um, maybe, though, to start with, you could tell us a bit about your background. So why, why are you so interested in this subject? Sure. So I grew up in a Pentecostal Christian home, and right. my father is a Pentecostal Assemblies of God minister, and he started a church right after I was born. So they took me right from the hospital to the altar to dedicate me to God. They had a prophecy before I was born that I was going to be this kind of figure in the church and leading people to Jesus. And so I was raised with this big sense of, of calling and destiny and everything, and this really hardcore evangelistic apocalyptic church and so i took that calling very seriously i went to church multiple times a week and ended up going to wheaton college an evangelical christian school to study bible and theology became an associate minister and felt called to become a missionary to india to convert hindus and muslims to christianity because we were taught that when every ethno-linguistic people group on the planet received the gospel, then Jesus was going to come back and, you know, destroy half the planet and the, the, all Happy these days. plagues. And yeah, this is going to be a great time, a, a big party, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, as an ex-Jehovah's Witness, yeah, I uh, I recognize that, um, that, that, yeah, cheery, cheery thought of everybody dying who's not a believer yeah uh-huh right okay so that sounds like quite a lot of weight on your shoulders really um from an early age 
Um, you even had a prophecy about you. That's um, what does that do to somebody? <laughs> yeah, and and multiple prophecies. You know, people oh, were crumbs. continually praying and prophesying, and and so yeah. No, I I thought that this was the the most important thing that and most meaningful thing that one could do was to give it all up for the gospel and and for the great commission this global Im- religious imperialistic conquest campaign <laughs> this glorious jihad so to speak holy war um <laughs> yeah but yeah and, and so this is what i was about and i was really passionate about becoming a missionary and then studied at Princeton Seminary, got a Master of Divinity. And as I was going about my studies, I just had a major life crisis because I had so much anxiety and fear, guilt and shame and sexual repression. And I was just anxious and depressed and tormented about my sexuality. And that had been going on for a really long time, but I just reached a point of desperation and I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be free of this and to figure out what's going on. And I began to realize that my religious beliefs were the source of my psychological distress. As I was unwinding this and figuring out and learning about trauma and psychology. And so it was really the emotional and psychological distress that led me to a more intellectual process of questioning. And so that took me several years of of trying harder to make the religion work and of becoming more liberal and progressive as a Christian and then becoming a, a Presbyterian minister for a little while after I gave up the missionary dream. And then at, at some point after I was just healing my religious trauma and working these things out, I woke up one day and and I said, you know what, I'm no longer a Christian, I'm an atheist, and I'm not afraid. And so I ended up quitting my job and going into this other crisis, isolating from my community, not having work that I could do, and just kind of really experiencing this, this massive loss and existential crisis and so what i ended up doing was moving across the country moving from the east coast to california and just partly to get geographical distance and to start over and so i ended up doing a lot of healing work a lot of counseling a lot of different things and i had heard that psychedelics were very powerful for healing trauma. I'd heard about some of the studies that were going on and that are going on now increasingly, uh, just about how psychedelics can heal depression, anxiety, PTSD, all kinds of different things. And so I started working with them and I was really blown away by the kinds of experiences that I was having uh, because these experiences were unlike anything I'd ever encountered before. And in many ways were similar to some experiences described in religions, though not as much in Christianity. Uh, And certainly unlike anything I'd experienced when I was a Christian, when I was a Christian, what I'd experienced was always, always felt to me questionable. I could never really tell if, uh, you know, people would 
teach you these lessons about hearing the voice of God and there'd have there'd be trainings on healing and prophecy and like no one would ever actually see anyone get healed you were always hearing stories about it but i never actually saw it happen or it was always kind of questionable and i could never tell if i was hearing god's voice or if it was me or my mind was making it up or was this god's presence or was it just very emotional preaching and music you know, but but what I was experiencing with psychedelics was un- an undeniable experience, a very powerful experience. And uh, so as I started exploring this more, I just I began to see that there was a lot, a lot of deep things going on here and that these kinds of experiences were articulated in sophisticated ways in mystical traditions and uh, particularly Eastern philosophy, uh, some of what is considered to be Eastern religion, although it's not necessarily religion, or uh, it it just often gets grouped into that category uh, by Western academics. And uh, some of it is, though, so there's a mix out there. And so I I ended up practicing meditation and uh, doing other things that also led to these kinds of experiences. And I found that they were very, very powerful for healing trauma uh, among giving me other benefits as well. Uh, So then I started writing, or as I was doing this, I was writing a lot of articles about religious trauma and exposing the psychological abuses of fundamentalism. Uh, so that's all on my blog. You can check that out. And so now, now I'm working with people who have experienced religious trauma, religious abuse, who feel isolated, trapped, lonely, depressed, uh, and are, and are trying to make sense of the world and themselves after that. And you know, I mean, I have my own positions about spirituality, and many of the people I work with are interested in this or mm. have had these kinds of experiences, and they don't know what to do with them. And uh, but not all of them. I work with people who are atheists or secular atheists who don't want anything to do with mm. it. You know, so whatever the sure. person's worldview is, I respect that, and I'm not going to impose yeah. my reality or my understanding on it. But so that's some of my background. That's really interesting. I, I really do want to get into some of this um, in in more depth, uh, Andrew. Um, I suppose just just rewinding a little bit because there's a couple of things that I want to I don't want to lose. Um, so the first thing I, I guess is you noticed um, how you felt. So while you were still a Christian and you still had this calling and this mission, but you you realised how you felt. So you felt there was something wrong. Um, could you? explain what that was like and why why you identified it as your religious belief so why was it you were able to to notice that it was that that was causing your problems yeah you know i think there were several factors at work i i I began to connect the dots i think one of them was that i was at princeton seminary which has a wider spectrum of theological positions represented and uh, many of the people there were more progressive or more liberal. So they were, many of them were comfortable drinking alcohol, for instance, which was prohibited in my background, or being sexually active, or, or didn't believe that the Bible was inerrant without errors. And and so they had these other 
views that were closer to secularism or more integrated. And that really allowed me to be a human being and to question some of the things that I had been taught that I think I had problems with all along, but I wasn't really able to see why until that point. Uh, so, so that was a helpful environment. I mean, I may have ended up doing that without that environment as well. I think there was just a point where I was just also just maturing in my knowledge and in my questioning and my desperation and really studying psychology too. And, and also finding that really just coming to terms with the fact that Christianity wasn't working for me. It promised this victorious life. It promised all of this healing. It promised psychological health, joy, and and peace. And and I didn't get it. In fact, I got trauma instead. And yeah. and so that failure, you know, led me to. I was just desperate to find solutions, and I found them outside of that framework. Very interesting. Okay, that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, and the, and the other thing that I. Uh, occurred to me as you were talking there is that um so you you said you came from a sort of pentecostal uh church and as far as i understand it pentecostal churches practice things like uh speaking in tongues uh and those sorts of things um you mentioned about healing although you didn't actually see any of the healing what how does that um, so, so from my tradition, if you like, from my background, um, Jehovah's Witnesses had nothing to do with any of that stuff. So um, that was, we would always look upon Pentecostals and speaking in tongues and so on as very strange and very, in itself, very mystical. Um, could, did that not fulfill that need? How do you compare that to your your spiritual journey afterwards, I suppose? Yeah. So to me, th what I experienced then is is something like pseudo spirituality. Okay. It's to me, it, a lot of it felt fake, or yeah. or at least questionable, unverifiable, unknowable. You know. So I don't even have to feel I have to deny that people have had healings or that people have healings. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I think there there are plenty of accounts of people having spontaneous remission of diseases, right, in, in medical settings, too, uh, whether or not they're religious. And, you know, maybe there, there's some kind of link between, I mean, there's clearly a, a mind-body connection, and so something like faith or belief could potentially play a role in that, but that doesn't validate the religious ideas just just because Absolutely. that happens so it's possible mm -hmm. that some things that are hard to explain happen but that doesn't mean they don't have an explanation and so uh, but but things like speaking in tongues to me you know they they would really have these services where they train you essentially to parrot and to mimic what the sounds the other person's making mm -hmm. and so you start re repeating these syllables and a lot of people find that to be questionable too, even as they're undergoing the experience. Do I really have the gift of speaking in tongues? Is this genuine or am I just copying the person? And so in sometimes you might experience some kind of emotional high or state from that. Uh, but to me, again, that's, that's, I, I'm, 
you know, I'm not going to say it's it's fake or that people are being disingenuous. Necessi- like, I don't feel I need to say that. Uh, no. I mean, I, I don't even feel I need to judge other people's experiences in that way. But I, I can say from my own experience, it, it didn't really it didn't really evidence anything. It was never really convincing to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. or, or maybe it was a little bit during the time, but it, it wasn't really like some of the the miracle stories that I read even in the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, okay, here's a person who was, was paralyzed and is now walking right in front of me. I wasn't seeing that kind of thing. Paralyzed from birth mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, is able to walk again. Yeah, you, you just don't see that, do you? you know, that's, that's right. Um, okay, that, that's really interesting. So um, let, let's get into this, um, this spirit um, uh, spiritual side and mysticism. Now, when we initially spoke, I think we talked about the idea of... Um, you know, being spiritual and having a spiritual side. And then when I listened to your lecture, you talked quite a lot about mysticism. So I see those as two quite different things. Do you see them as different or do you see them as the same? How would you define those things, Andrew? Yeah. And and so definitions, I mean, this is a very important I know. conversation. <laughs> I, it, it, so for me, they're, they're pretty much the same thing, or at least for the my view of spirituality. Uh, mysticism and spirituality are pretty much the same thing for me. Okay. And so for other people, they're not. Uh, but for me, they are. And so okay. the, the kind of spirituality that I'm interested in uh, really is something, is, is essentially a study and explora- experiential exploration of consciousness. And... Uh, and so that's my understanding of mysticism too, that it's this exploration and study of, of consciousness and different states of consciousness and how those experiences can impact our healing and self-actualization. And so, you know, I'm not as interested in, I guess, things that are not really grounded in experience or they can't be studied so, so really, for me, spiritual spirituality is is almost a synonym with consciousness, essentially, and and that's quite different from what it was in fundamentalist religion, where spirituality was really a, ideas. It was primarily doctrinal and ideological, and it was based on authority and divine revelation, something that was dictated to you, something that you had to believe something that you might experience if you had the right beliefs and did the right things. And for me now, it's really more about a set of practices that can uh, lead to changes in experience and and potentially some more enduring changes in experience and that, you know, hopefully lead to something positive and productive and something that we can actually really study and explore that we don't have to trust an outside figure for if we want to we can have these experiences and and make sense of it however we make sense of it okay um so before we um before we chatted i I said that i i suppose i i wanted to push back a little bit on some of these things so if that's okay um Mm -hmm. i want to push back on this definition of spirituality as being equated to consciousness so i suppose 
Um, I don't see that is the way that most um, people who are studying consciousness would define it. I think consciousness is... um, I've never seen anybody equate the two, basically say that the two are the same. I guess you could say that... um, I could see that spirituality might be a way to describe um, unusual states of consciousness, perhaps. Um, but what, what's your justification, I suppose, for saying that um, that spirituality is a study of consciousness or that they are essentially the same thing? Yeah, so I think I would agree with you in that uh, there are many maybe scientists who are or people who are studying the brain and studying consciousness kind of from that perspective who would not necessarily include any kind of a, a mystical type or spiritual dimension to that. Hmm. And I think it's possible to study it from that perspective and also completely valid and important. Uh, however, for me, that is only one dimension of it. It's only one angle and one perspective. And so when I talk about consciousness, I'm talking about subjective, phenomenological, felt experience. So not just looking at the brain and what's happening and what we can measure uh, you know, with uh, a, on, on a physical sense, but actually on a subjective sense. Well, what happens when you do this thing and what kinds of experiences do you have and how does that impact your psychology? And so for me, it's an exploration of consciousness in a tangible way. So, so, you know, something like, I mean, really yoga psychology or yogic mysticism is a whole philosophy and framework developed around this this experiential undertaking which in a lot of these kinds of scientific or brain-based studies you don't have that you don't have any kind of template for well what happens when you do this and how what kinds of experiences do you have and how does that impact your psyche and what does that what 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 potential implications does that have now i don't think those things have to be separate in fact i'd prefer that they weren't or at least I prefer that there would be conversations between the two and that they'd be more integrated. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, so you've used the word psyche there. What, what do you mean by psyche? What's that? Oh, so so like your 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 psyche is like your your psychology, your psychological experience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we've talked quite uh quite a bit on the podcast about um you know this uh the experience of of existing obviously this um the phenomenology of that and that this what it is to be like me you know i i i can i have this undeniable sense that i i exist and i know that i exist in the world and i experience that in a very profound way and so I guess, you know, in a sense, that is all we have <laughs> because the rest of it is mediated through uh, through our senses and through the way that our brain interprets those things. But um, that, that could be said for any experience of consciousness. So, you know, um, just keeping it really grounded, just literally me sitting in my room here talking to you um, across the other side of the world, um, 
I'm having an experience right now and that's only possible because, um, or at least I, I can only experience it because of consciousness. That's that's the essence of, of what it's like to be me right now is, is talking to Andrew Jasko. But I don't see how that is equated with spirituality or mysticism. That is just, um, and I, I agree that it's a very, it's a very difficult and we don't understand it. I don't think um, fully, um, but I guess the, the worry I have, and, and I don't want to undermine, you know, that the benefits um, of some of some of the treatments that you've talked about, and even some of the um, psychedelic experiences that we can talk about in a minute. I suppose my my concern is that the fact is that consciousness, because it is such a difficult thing for us to understand, and philosophically it's difficult. Um, ontologically it's difficult and epistemologically it's difficult that leaves a lot of room for a lot of gobbledygook to be smuggled in to explain it and that i guess that's what worries me is that we don't do that we need to make sure that um whatever we're talking about has some evidence base and i, I like you i i agree that just thinking that we can understand consciousness by doing scans of the brain and seeing which bits light up i mean that makes me laugh i think that's you know how does that actually tell us anything about consciousness so i completely get your skepticism on that front but um but yeah i think it so that's my challenge i suppose i've I've, you know i've rabbited on enough tell me what you think about my challenge yeah well i i think we agree here at least in a lot of ways so i have that concern as well and i'm someone who was very skeptical for I'd say about two years as I was exploring this and still continue to be skeptical in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I actually encourage that. Hmm. Um, But I guess not to the point where we're just not examining evidence where we're so skeptical that we're actually closed off to exploring things sure. that that we might not understand or that we might, you know, associate with religion or something like that. And I could say that I I was a little bit closed-minded and very judgmental sure. for quite a significant period of time of people who had some of these experiences and I thought they were all just religious. I thought they were yeah. like the Pentecostals, you know, they were just sure making up these things or heard them from someone else. And it wasn't until I had my own experiences that I was like, Oh, okay, wait a second. There's a whole other uh, universe of experience out here that people are trying to make sense of. And so you're right. That is very complicated because, you know, consciousness is very complicated and the mind is very complicated Uh, So hallucinations do exist. Uh, Superstition does exist. Psychosis does exist. Um, At the same time, there are certain kinds of experiences that I think defy those labels and that tend to be pretty universal in mystical traditions that are very reproducible, that... Uh, people are having and that they're really starting to quantify now in some of these studies and that have real implication, have significant implications. And to just say, well, because it's complicated, we can't uh, 
say anything about those, I think doesn't quite work either. I, I definitely agree that, um, that that's right. I mean, that's the whole point of scientific exploration, isn't it? To, to ask those difficult questions. Uh, I guess one of the, one of the, um, uh, the issues then, or one of the questions itself is how we, how we ask those questions and how we, what, what we take as evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a really, uh, tricky or potentially tricky one. So I guess, um, accounts of people's experiences, um, you know, hundreds of years ago or even last week, um, I think from a scientific point of view, you'd say you'd need to be skeptical about those um, experiences in terms of what's actually happening um, because they're not controlled and you're not able to understand what was happening at the time in full and so on. So I guess that's that's one of the difficulties of scientific investigation of mysticism um, is to try and find a way of studying that that actually satisfies the scientific method. So it's not about being... Um, just having the dogma that it can't be true, and we, we're not interested in it. I guess part of the challenge is how do we, how do we um, subject it to the scientific rigor that we do everything else mm-hmm. if we're going to say that there's scientific yeah. evidence for it? Yeah. Uh, it have is. you any thoughts about that? Yeah. Uh, someone named Ken Wilber has written a lot on this subject. He's a big figure in the in the transpersonal psychology world in consciousness yeah. studies, and it's not an easy. thing thing because when we're talking about experience uh, it's not as easy to measure as the physical world uh, of the five senses and the sense objects Uh, because again subjectivity is inherently involved right and you can't remove that element you can't you just can't remove it there's no way uh, like, so in order to have a microscope that could measure consciousness, it would have to be conscious, right? So, so what do we have that's conscious? Well, we have ourselves, but you know, it's, it's, it's complex because we bring everything that we have with us. So, I mean, honestly, the, the best thing that I have right now, and I, I, I hope, I would hope that this would continue to increase. And and I'm also not going to say that I'm even the best person to ask about this. I'm sure there are people who have better ideas who have thought more about this than I have. But uh, it is really to explore these things, to study them, to write about them, and to do so in community and to question them. And, uh, and there, you know, there may be that we have to leave a question mark open uh, for certain things, and also to look at the influence of of things like dogma or or religious, but you you know, so if someone has a vision of Jesus, for instance, and they, you know, while well, they were born in a Christian home, well, okay, <laughs> so that's one thing. Uh, but I think it is very uh, curious that the kinds of experiences that people tend to have in mysticism and how they do tend to lead to certain kinds of understandings and ideas uh, that are um, in certain ways consistent or at least create certain kinds of questions. Yeah, I, 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 I guess um, I think it's no surprise. So um, can I put to you a, a 
way of thinking about this and you can tell me whether you would say i'm missing something you know you're missing something stephen um uh, and maybe i am so this is this is the way that i i think i view these experiences is that um under you know the brain in my view the brain gives birth to the mind um and sure we don't we don't understand consciousness um we, we can't really explain it and it's very difficult to even prove that somebody else has it you know we, we we know that is one of the the age-old difficulties but um but when it comes to um our actions as as human beings we are essentially sense-making machines we are constantly trying to understand the world around us and we do that by taking in information um and you know you talk about the five senses but there's more than five senses essentially you know we have uh, other ways of understanding the world sometimes those that data is also through science through mathematics and um, data that comes in through through understanding what's happening in that way as well so we have all this data and we try to make sense of it and our personal experience is is trying to make sense of our experiences and we do that based upon those inputs but of course the, the brain itself is has no um, interface with the world other than our senses. And then what it also does is it, it tries to understand what's happening. It tries to make sense of those inputs. Plus, um, it anticipates what's happening based on what it already knows about the world. So you have these two things, interpreting its external stimuli and basing its understanding on what it already anticipates is going to happen. That's why sometimes we see something that isn't there because we expect mm -hmm. to see it. You know, we've all had those sorts of illusions. Right. So we are, that that's what we're doing as, as our mind is we're trying to make sense of the world based on our inputs and, and our, uh, what, what we've experienced before. And of course we know that there are things that can happen to our brain for all sorts of reasons that can alter our ability or our the way that we perceive the world and that could be through uh drugs or um or other experiences that then our mind our brain tries to make sense of what we're seeing and it's at that point that we have all that we can have all these strange experiences and what, what are, we might ex explain as mystic experiences things happen to ourselves perceptions are different we're trying to make sense of the world, and that's why we might see Jesus if we if we're a Christian, or we might see um, Buddha if we're a Buddhist, and so on. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, that I have no problem with accepting that stuff's happening. Yeah. So is that is that okay, or yeah. am I missing something? Well, I think that that uh, through exploring these kinds of experiences, uh, at least for me, that kind of view starts to break down, okay. and. Or, or at least be insufficient on, on a certain level. And I guess, have you had many of these kinds of experiences or, or done much of this kind of exploration? Yeah. And so in some ways, like, uh, it, it, it's really helpful to have a framework for, for understanding uh, what, what we're talking about here. And, and so uh, one of the core features of some of these experiences is, 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 cosmological type experiences. So for instance, when you work with a psychedelic or do breath work 
or do some of these things that do, you're right, that do alter the brain in a certain way, uh, they tend to lead to a sense of your consciousness expanding and maybe merging with uh, your your greater reality around you or the ecosystem in a sense of being a, a felt sense of being deeply connected with a greater whole. And we tend to experience ourselves as, as very separate, isolated organisms. And with these experiences, it, people tend to really come to a greater value of nature and of the higher uh, you could almost say the higher human organism that we're a part of. There tends to be a felt sense of of a higher oneness or an expansion and a unity with not only other people, but also with nature in a tangible felt way. And there also tends to be visions of the universe, solar system, stars, what appear as other beings and entities. And uh, all there are all kinds of different levels and layers in uh, what people will call other dimensions. And, uh, you know, there's, there's even a word that people would consider woo. I, I don't care, but like astral travel of, of a sense of leaving one's body and of traveling through the cosmos. And, and so this begs the question, well, why do people have these vast cosmological experiences that are so lucid and organized and not like it doesn't seem like a random brain generated thing or also something that you haven't seen before that, you know, isn't just like a random or anticipated thing. Uh, even me telling you that you're going to have this kind of experience, like if you have it, it's not going to be just the way I'm describing it. And, and, you know, so, and a lot of people have these without hearing about them. And I know for me, that was the case in a lot of ways too. So so why is it that these things are so lucid and coherent and that people come out of them talking about uh, a greater meaning and then the kind of a spiritual dimension if it isn't there? And why would it just be so randomly generated? And if it wasn't, you, you know, so so you start asking these kinds of questions and when you have these kinds of experiences that sort of defy uh, an explanation that just attributes it to something that there isn't a more coherent meaning to the experiences that there, you know, so it could be that the scheme for understanding these things isn't what I think it is. But I think to say that there isn't some kind of a scheme uh, isn't really sufficient either. Uh, or, or that uh, there isn't some, like, why are these experiences so meaningful and so suggestive of, of there being kind of something more at least than we're able to currently describe? So I think most people in the psychedelic and mystical communities would, would tend to say that these experiences uh, often include genuine perceptions into reality that are not just being generated by the brain that are actually in some way being perceived by the brain that they're so organized and so clear and so common and consistent across experience and that they have real implications uh, that there's some way of of a kind of another sense or or a genuine seeing that's also involved in the picture. Now, does that mean that it's not scientific or that can't be un explained by science? I don't think so. It could just mean that we don't have a way of understanding it now. Uh, but, but I think that really just to say that these are all 
kind of just generated by the brain in a random kind of a way also doesn't make sense. I don't think it needs to be random. I mean, you've introduced that word, not me. So I don't think it has to be a random thing. I think, um, you know, the fact that people all over the world have similar experiences. I mean, people have similar experiences of pain if they break their leg from one continent to another. You know, we all, as human beings, we, we are equipped with pretty much the same biology um obviously our cultural experiences are different but our biology is is virtually the same so we we experience mm-hmm. um you know illnesses the same way um we we experience we assume love and um hate and disgust and all these other uh, emotions in, in a very similar way so i guess it's not surprising that people all over the world if their brains are subjected to the same sorts of experiences, will tell similar stories, but they will tell them in ways that are culturally appropriate and that mean something to them. So, yeah, I guess um, seeing solar systems and seeing the universe and um, looking at uh, pictures of um, galaxies and so on, these might be interpreted differently differently than normal but these are concepts that we understand you know i guess um 300 years ago people probably didn't have experiences of seeing solar systems and galaxies and so on because they they that meant nothing to them and they that there was no um nothing for them to make sense of if you like they wouldn't have seen those things in the real world so they couldn't they wouldn't have been able to talk about them sure um, so yeah i i i guess i I question whether it's not enough. And I, I still feel it It could be really profound. You know, the, the fact that we are able to generate these amazing um, experiences. I mean, sometimes dreams can be very affecting. Um, mm-hmm. A dream itself can, you know, you can wake up from a dream and with a renewed sense of, you know, actually, I really need to, you know, um, seize the day, you know, because actually I've just seen something in that dream that is a um, has made me think differently about something, or you know. So I think you know we we do we can have profound reactions to to things that that are sometimes very effective. Well, and and that's right. And so I I think I I totally agree with you in that uh, the conclusions that we make about these experiences for me anyway, isn't as important as the benefits that we can have from them. And, you know, so I don't really even want people, I I mean, in a certain sense, like, I mean, I like it when people agree with me, right? Of course. But like, I I wouldn't want someone to just change their mind and and not be convinced on their, on themselves, you know? So, um, I think that what's more important is, is that people get the healing that they need and that these kinds of, experiences are well evidenced to powerfully heal trauma and deeply connect people with themselves with their own sense of reality and also a sense of being connected with nature and a greater whole Uh, and people will often have experiences of of, say feeling a sense of unconditional love of of being embraced by the whole cosmos and the whole universe and uh, a, a felt conviction that they're fundamentally whole and and that love is foundational. So things like this are very powerful and very healing. And, uh, you know, so 
for me, if you if you get healing and you get benefits and you know whatever you believe about it is is kind of secondary. And I don't really see. I don't think you really could change your perspective without having the experience either. I think that uh, people who do explore these experiences and in a deep and concerted way, not just like once or twice in a shallow way, are, are probably going to start grappling with these kinds of questions as well. Uh, I mean, and, and you do have things like near-death studies uh, uh, that are being done with a fair amount of rigor. And even at the the conference I just spoke at, which was uh, about death, grief, and belief, there was a man who was speaking uh, about his near-death experiences. And, you know, uh, a lot of these kinds of studies are, uh, people are having these kinds of experiences when they're literally brain dead. And uh, so that shouldn't be happening if they're all generated by the brain and they're having these experiences of of experiencing themselves as kind of hyper-conscious or conscious in a way where more conscious than they were before and uh, having this, and this is also something that can happen on a psychedelic is something called a life review. Uh, where you're you're literally be in this visionary state, and uh, you'll have this review of all these incidences in your life of when you um, behaved in certain ways that led to, say, an addiction. Like uh, people will work with psychedelics to treat uh, heroin. There's a psychedelic called a boga uh, that that lasts like like two days. That will often involve this kind of visionary state where often another being or what appears to be another being like an angelic type entity type thing, whatever that is, again, will will show them all these events in their lives and they'll feel the pain that they caused other people as if they are the other person feeling the pain. And it'll it'll lead to this insight in in sort of the 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 genesis of this trauma and how this thing developed, and uh, out of that comes an a window of opportunity to make a different choice. Because when we're unconscious of what leads to our traumas or addictions, and and uh, and when we're not really having some kind of cathartic release around those traumas, then we're just caught in that cycle. And so, but that that also begs the and and so those kinds of experiences uh, again people will commonly describe on uh, these near death experiences or or you could say actual death experiences because they're actually brain dead uh, and then they're so they're I, resuscitated I, and and there yeah. are also many reports of people reporting things that were happening in the room and 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 then being able to verify that and so there there's a lot of things like that with uh, mystical states of consciousness too, where people start to see an actual kind of interaction between what they're perceiving and what is happening in, in the external world too. So it really starts to lead to deeper questions. And then you also have um, what people will label as past life type experiences. This is a very common phenomenon. And, and so that also begs the question too, well, why, why does this happen this way? So, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things you, you said there. Um, I guess I'm really interested in the studies. Um, I've um, done a little bit of uh, reviewing of, uh, of Google Scholar to see what's out there in terms of 
studies into this sort of thing. And um, I mean, the fact that things are studied, I think is brilliant. And that's that's exactly what we should be doing. Um, but as far as I understand it, um, we've not got any evidence of things like um, experiences when the brain is completely dead and, uh, you know, these sorts of... And there have been experiments to see whether there's any uh, evidence for them. As far as I can see, there's no there's no evidence that, that is supporting this currently. So, yeah, if there's experiments going on, if there's studies going on, then absolutely. But well, there again, are it depends there what are sorts of studies you're talking about. Yeah, no, there are there are several. There is evidence, um, and, and so let me see here if I have um, some of the. I have to get you the name. So, send, so send me some stuff. It'd be interesting. Uh-huh. I'd really like to read some of those um, those studies. Um, yeah, and, and, and again, I don't I don't view this as like a uh, either like a solid proof kind of a like an airtight thing. Like for me, I'm sure. not comfortable saying like I know what happens, you know, or like I know for sure. Um, but I think that these kinds of experiences lead to a certain set of questions that which we need to research obviously and and see whether they are true but again if the studies are not showing that then we can't really invoke those studies to say you know we're doing a lot of research into this we're doing a lot of studies into near-death experiences we're doing studies into past live um experiences and so on um you know my understanding of the psychological research in this area is that there is no evidence um, for these things. No, no evidence that you could actually say was scientifically valid. You might have people's stories mm. about these things and their own telling of these stories, but but not right. well, in any way that would so that would actually so there's be there's studies by a guy named Jeffrey Long, uh, okay. who was an MD, and. Uh, so who who did studies of of the of near death experiences there's also um who was the uh, ethnologist who i really like because he he figure he takes into account um culture like you're saying and how their experiences can be different in different cultures sure. so i think that's a really important uh aspect too so let me see I can find you more. There's also yeah. Ian Stevenson who did, who's done some studies on uh, reincarnation and past life type reports. Um, so none of these people either are, are being like dogmatic in his, there's also a person named uh, Gregory Shushan, S H U S H A N near death and afterlife beliefs across cultures. So he takes more of an ethnographic mm-hmm. type study approach. So there are multiple, uh, studies that have been going on and happening on this yeah it'd be great to um if you send me some some of those um those studies that that would be great i'd be really interested in in seeing those and we, we could and, maybe talk uh, about them in a future yeah time. and then there's uh, someone i recommend too called stanislav Grof. stanislav and he is a big uh transpersonal psychology guy he worked with thousands of people with different uh states of consciousness and sort of mapped out a lot of the different states and some of their implications he also did a lot of study on breath work holotropic breath work a method he developed of breath and uh often 
part of the experience that can happen through through this breathing technique and this alteration, people will have a lot of core traumas released. And uh, one of them is this experience of birth trauma, which is a very interesting phenomenon. People will literally have this ex- this kind of felt experience of like regression to an, an infantile state or where they were being born in a certain way and there was this trauma or struggle or something and then they'll find that going through that will like release a lot of things so like they might have felt stuck or stifled and and maybe they had trouble being but so it's it's these kinds of experiences that are really like mind-boggling and and oh, fascinating they are fascinating. That's the word I was just about to say, fascinating, but in a psychological way. So um, no one remembers their birth. We're not able to remember our birth. Um, we don't have the hardware to do it, but we can imagine our birth. We can imagine and tell stories about it and hear stories about it and then put all that together and come up with a um, an imaginary story about it. Uh, my My wife used to think she remembered being in the womb. Um, uh-huh. until she realized there was a lamp in in the in the room and her favorite uh, bedding so obviously she'd been thinking about her room um not her not her mother's womb um but you know we uh, we don't we don't have the physical capacity to remember that experience well therefore. i mean i i guess I, I guess that's also the if the assumption that memory resides solely in in the structures of the physical brain which um, I, I guess these kinds of experiences, you know, tend to question if that's actually all that there is. Where, and again, people will uh, will commonly have these kinds of like after a near death experience. Obviously, you don't have a brain, right? So, if something like that is happening, well, where does memory reside, and is there something beyond the body, some part of mind that continues? And in Eastern traditions, they actually have. Uh, frameworks for understanding different parts of mind and uh, like they'll, they'll call it the etheric body, like a different kind of energetic type body or something that's not. So, so again, you really get into people talking about consciousness, not being limited solely to the brain here. And with these kinds of experiences, well, yeah, I guess you could have imagined that, but why would you imagine that? And, and how could it be so vivid and why would it be so related to, uh, actual ways in which your trauma is expressing itself if there's no correspondence if it's just kind of an imagined like why that doesn't has no explanatory power for the experience that's happening uh, well memory is a really interesting thing because memory is obviously partly based on our experience but it is also constructed every time we have a memory so we it's not like a, a hard drive that we go and we go and uh, find the file and open it you know we are constructing our memories from you're from right time to time. I, I completely agree yeah it's super complex yeah so yeah you can you can imagine all sorts of um strange memories and, and we know from the work of people like elizabeth Lof- loftus and people like that that you know it's actually quite easy to put people's put, uh, put false memories into people um we can we we have good um exper- experimental evidence of that actually happening so we can actually see that in in the lab um so yeah it, it i think we have to be careful that and again you know we have to for me, it's really important to have the evidence for some of these claims. So if we're saying that memory now doesn't only exist in the brain and it, it exists somewhere else, then, okay, where's the evidence for that? How do we 
how do we um, research that question? Otherwise, again, we're back to the problem of that religion has, which is it, it is because I say it is, or it might be. You know, let's let's pretend, and, and that's that's the problem. Right. I think well, with these sorts of thinking. you're right. Except, I, I think a key difference here is that these kinds of experiences are reproducible in a reliable manner. What do you mean um, by that? What I mean by that is that all you need to do to explore some of these experiences is introduce a certain stimulus or a set of conditions. And you can't exactly, I mean, reproduce the same experience every time. You can't exactly say, I'm going to have an out-of-body experience, you know, just it, mm-hmm. like there's a certain level on, of unpredictability, but you, I, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee you that if you do you know, a certain number of ayahuasca retreats, for instance, you're going to have a lot of these experiences guaranteed, guaranteed it's going to happen. And it always does. It's reproducible and, uh, and pretty much universal. Uh, and, and so, and also the questions that come along with them. And, and so these experiments and, and the mapping out of these different states and, and some of the correspondence to reality and the same thing with the near-death experiences. Well, well, how do people have these kinds of memories or insights in these states? And there's no real explanation. And, and it's also that uh, there have also been some studies about uh, how with some of these kinds of what's known as the unitive or non-dual experience, uh, the, the state of, uh, uh, of of a sense of total transcendence and oneness and expansion with the universe and uh, being outside of uh, a sense of being outside of the perceived boundaries of space and time, um, something like that. Uh, these tend to lead people into more of a panpsychic pan uh, type perspective, or even pantheistic or panentheistic, or or something at least a view where consciousness is in some ways more fundamental than has been assumed in a traditional paradigm and that can actually be interacted with um, really where, where the mind can actually interact with mind outside of itself tends to be where these kinds of experiences tend to lead in that direction. Interesting stuff. I I, I would, I suppose um, um, the, the purely materialist theory could still be satisfied um the fact that it is reproducible could still be you know it, it sits well with the fact with this um this theory that yeah, actually is and, the mind and, trying and to make know, sense of the world and so on and and you know plenty of people have tried to make sense of it with the materialist paradox i mean i think carl jung the the big uh hmm. big psychologist really tried to make sense of this uh it, it ended up being insufficient for him too but he tried his best uh, he 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 came up with something known as the collective unconscious to describe yeah. that that some of these a lot of see, these kind of experiences with these spiritual type mythic beings and these other dimensions. He tried to say that it was like we have this repository of evolutionary memory and uh, this this kind of that was a, a part of evolution and part of the brain. But then he ended up coming up with this theory of the psychoid and and synchronicity because he he had a lot of other mystical type experiences and he did see genuine correlations as well 
so I think that's useful. And uh, again, like I think that I only really see, you know, if if you don't do the exploration yourself, you're you're not going to really be asking these kinds of questions or, or questioning the framework. You're you're um you're. You're giving me a poke every time there, Andrew. To uh, that, I need to experience. You don't. No, no, you don't. You don't. You don't need to. I mean, definitely no, not. No, so, I, so, so, I don't take it in a bad way. I think another thing that I would yeah. say is nobody should do this unless they want to, or sure. unless they feel drawn to it. And also that not everyone should take psychedelics. Not everyone should do everything because mm-hmm. they're not good for everyone. Um, I think yeah. some there there is a, a way to practice mysticism or some of these practices that most people could benefit from, but it depends on your physiology, your psychology. And so this is where I recommend really, really doing some research. And also, you know, if, if you're like, I'm happy with my life, I don't want to touch this stuff, then, sure. then don't do it. You know, don't listen yeah. to this guy here. Uh, but, it, you know, uh, but I think, it, I think what I'm saying is it's... Uh, it's hard to really understand and to understand why. And maybe some of that is, is due to my inadequacy of articulation <laughs> here. Uh, I, I think you're very articulate and, um, you know, I, I find you fascinating to, to talk to, you know, I've really enjoyed talking today. I hope I've not um, been too bullying. I, I not really, at all. Not at all. You know, I, I, I appreciate really all the questions that you're asking. Great. Um, so, You've got a blog. Um, you've got a website. Um, on that website is a, a really interesting blog. I'll put the links to those things up there. Is there anything else you want to, to draw people's attention to, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, so also on that blog, I have a lot of articles that that don't have anything to do with spirituality, and sure. some articles where I use Bible verses and I'm actually addressing Christians. So just in case that's confusing, uh, like <laughs> I will actually embody a perspective to speak to people in that, but that doesn't mean that that's mm. my perspective necessarily. Uh, so sure. like an, an article, how Christians could benefit from psychedelics for intre- in- instance, I'm using their framework, but I'm not a Christian. So, sure. so, <laughs> uh, so I have articles like God, the fascist um, and discussing fascism in the Bible and why we see fascism today and Christian nationalism and, and, uh, how Christianity's gospel creates a victim, perpetrator, savior framework, and so a lot of things on that. And and uh, I guess a, another thing that I will say is like, you know, it is super important to stay grounded. I think in all of this and to use your critical thinking, and that you know, uh, there are plenty of people who call themselves spiritual who have all kinds of wild ideas. There are all, there are people who believe in all kinds of conspiracy ideas who and you know who who don't value science uh who are anti-vaccination which i'm not and uh you know and it's also possible to be a manipulative person and there are cults who use psychedelics there are cults who use meditation and so there there's all kinds of abuse and mixture that does happen in the world i don't think that's the norm i mean i'm I, you know, work with these practices in a lot of communities who uh, have a lot of different beliefs and just sit together in a, in a ceremonial setting and, and, you know, work with this practice. And it's kind of like you interpret it how you will. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
but but just to say that like yeah it's still we still need to do all of our homework we still need to use all our rational and critical skills uh, i'm not i'm not in favor of, of i i want us to to be integrated and i seek to be integrated mm, yeah Oh, on that um, on that note, it sounds like a really good place to uh, uh, to, to bring our podcast to a close. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you today, Andrew. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, Andrew Jasko. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. What should I think about is an evil sheep production.